Ah, welcome to the Pub Sports Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Alford. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so, so thrilled to have our next guest, uh, Karina Kelsey, coming up here in just a moment. But before we do, let me give you a quick update of things to come. Save the date, all right? Friday, October 4th. Join us on campus for our annual celebration of the Gonzaga Prep Community, Prep Pride, and Give Day. Alumni, students, parents, grandparents, and future bullpups are invited to show their school spirit and enjoy free hot dogs and activities before the homecoming football game. The pep band and cheer squad will entertain the crowd with the fight song as we cheer prep football onto victory in Bullpup Stadium. Circle those calendars. Be there or be square. October 4th. You don't want to miss it. Free hot dogs. Come on. Does it get any much better than that? Be there. October 4th. We're excited. We know you're excited. Now, let's get to the interview. All right, now moving into our main interview, another uh, alumni interview that we have the privilege of sitting down with. Uh, Karina O'Brien made a name, uh, but Karina Kelsey, as she goes by more often uh, today. Karina, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. So uh, to get things rolling today and to kind of break the ice, get loose as I've done with everyone that comes on the show, because I think that it's, it's important, uh, we're going to do some icebreaker questions some rapid fire and uh, it'll be the first thing that kind of comes to your mind that that's what we're interested in okay okay so uh for starters just to get loose and and hear it uh full name and graduation year uh karina Byrne o'brien kelsey and i graduated in 2006 okay now where'd you go to grade school i went to assumption a proud assumption hawk uh, preschool through eighth grade and then transitioned to gonzaga prep oh that's awesome now Fastest mile time. Oh, in high school, 519 was my Ooh. fastest mile. College, they transitioned to 1500, so I ran a 444, I believe. Holy smokes, I couldn't even kept up with you. <laughs> I was ready to be all geared with, you know, I ran a pretty decent mile time, I felt like, and I, I'm not even going to share mine. I don't think it's uh, anything anyone needs to hear. Um, now, Boston Marathon time, because I know you did run the Boston Marathon. What was your time? Uh, my Boston Marathon time was 3.03. Uh, I was hoping to break three hours, but the heartbreak hill got me. Okay. And uh, what, was the, what was the qualifying race that you ran to get to that? So I ran the Skagit Flats Marathon over in Bremerton, Washington. It's flat, it's fast, and I uh, was trying to run sub three hours there too, and I got 52, it was 52 seconds over three hours. So it's just it's still on my bucket list to break that. No, that's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, that's one in which I think everyone sets their sights for as far as a marathon goes. And so uh, I, I don't care if you broke three hours or not. I think uh, top notch in my book. Now, shifting to your time at prep, most challenging teacher you had during your time at prep back in, you know, 06 time. That's a really good question. Uh, challenging, uh, I you know I really liked challenges, so I think the teachers that I enjoyed are the teachers that challenged me the most. Um, I feel like I have one for each department, but probably uh, Christian Beer was one of those that I think English wasn't something that was my strongest subject, uh, and I felt like he, freshman English with Mr. Beer was probably one of my most challenging classes. 
Yeah, I remember that time and, and how intense he was in the sentence battles. I don't know if you did that back <laughs> yeah. when you, uh-huh. you were here, but I was with Mr. Stigleader and we went up against his class and it was like, we got punched in the face. We didn't really know how to respond because they, they had pen grabbing strategies <laughs> and they had, you know, just quick writing strategies. And it was, in, you know, not an experience I want to rehash, but <laughs> Mr. Beer preps people ready to go for those sentence battles. Yeah, he, uh, I still remember a lot of the little tips and tricks that he taught us in that class. Now, easiest A you had at prep? Oh, easiest A, uh, PE. Denise Schlepp, uh, Dave Carson, those are my PE teachers, but also that, you know, I, I loved anything to do with athletics, so that do was you, helpful. Do you remember how many jump ropes you had in a minute? <laughs> I should, I should, uh, but I do not. <laughs> uh, now, I don't know your history a ton at, at prep and when you were going to school, um, but did you ever get in trouble when you were at prep? Uh, you have a story in which you remember? Uh, I, I had one jug that I think I got my senior year for being late for class, but I was not someone who got in trouble. I was on ASB and uh, Ancilla and all the service clubs I could be. So I, um, I was someone who liked to uh, toe the line and be on the good side. Now, I remember I was similar to you in the sense that I had one jug while I was at prep, but here is what was described to me. And I remember it specifically, sophomore year, it was like a late start day. And I came in like five minutes late because I was at the mercy of my dad driving me to school. And they had told me, don't worry, this is not one that goes on your record. It's just a lunch jug. It's for being tardy, even though I had a note of this is why I was late. And then I remember getting all the way to the senior year at graduation when they give out the awards for people that never got jug. And my name was left off the list. And I remember going, wait, (laughs) you can't be serious. Like I was literally told that it shouldn't matter. And it ultimately did, I guess. So I'm with you. One jug. You know, I I eventually learned to move on. But you can see how that still stays with me just a little bit. I blame mine, I think, on my older sister. I think that's she was here and probably similar ride issue. (laughs) Oh, good fun. Uh, Now, uh, when you came to prep or when you made the decision, were you on the fence about coming to prep? Uh, That's a good question. I was not. I'm the youngest of three. So my two older sisters, one had graduated from Gonzaga Prep and one was a senior when I started. So I feel like I was in the prep stands from the time I was in first or second grade when my oldest sister was starting her journey here. Um, And so I grew up you know, on, in the student section with the kids of my, with my sister and her friends. So, uh, I was, I've bled blue and white my entire life, I think. Yeah. And similar colors, obviously being an assumption. So not a lot of difference. Um, what sports, uh, what sports did you participate when you came to prep? Yeah, I started, I played JV soccer my freshman year. I was a varsity basketball player for four years, varsity track. And then after my freshman year, Mr. Fern convinced me that in order to be a better track athlete, I should do cross country. So after uh, my freshman year, I hung up those soccer cleats and I started running cross country for my sophomore and my junior year. And then uh, senior year, I was trying to focus more on basketball. So I uh, just, I didn't do a sport my um, senior year in the fall season. Now, uh, for a lot of people that I spoke to that did run cross country back when I was going to high school, they usually claimed the, I'm just trying to stay in shape. 
did that begin and was that the beginning of your time running cross country or were you dead set on in the very beginning of I'm going to make this my sport? Uh, I really did not like cross country when I was a student here at Gonzaga Prep because I, I, I was doing it to get be a better track athlete. I was a middle distance runner and I really did not like long runs. And I remember Mrs. Robinson would just be so happy and excited about these beautiful runs that we would go on. And I'm pretty sure I complained about every single minute of it. Uh, but then if you, you put me in a workout, I love the competition. So I love that part of it, but just long distance running, I really didn't, wasn't something I enjoyed until I got to college. Mrs. Robinson. Now I remember having a pretty decent relationship with her because my brother had a good relationship with her. And I remember my first memory of hers was, you know, coming in and singing and to you, Mrs. Robinson and, and her going, you know, who sings that song. And I, at that point, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know, like Simon and Garfunkel or something. And she's like, huh? What? Like what? And I just go, Oh, educate me. And so that was my first you know, kind of good interaction with her. And I know now she's not the current librarian. When did she retire? She retired a couple years ago. Yeah. So she's no longer uh, at Gonzaga Prep. So she had to take all of her pictures down in her, uh, her office, as well as all her trinkets. If you remember, she had all those random right. trinkets. A lot of them were things that she found on runs with the cross country or the track teams. That's really cool. Um, what clubs you, you had mentioned some at the, the top of the podcast that you were a part of, what were some clubs that you were a part of? So I was, uh, most notably probably Ancilla and then I was, uh, ASB co-vice president. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. do we have controversy like election tie co-vice yeah. president? So back in the day, which wasn't that long ago, but, uh, we actually, everybody ran together. So all, anybody who was interested in being on ASB ran and there were actually four spots. And so the person with the most votes became president. And then the person with the next votes became vice. But in order to have a male and female represented throughout the entire ASB, you had a male co-vice or a co-vice president and a female co-vice president, and then you had your secretary. So um, depending on how the votes, you could have a, you could have a female president and then still a female co-vice president or um, vice versa, male and male, but then you still had one equal representation at that level. So, okay. uh, so we had, we had only four people on ASB at that point for, and they were all seniors. Now, did you guys do the announcements in the morning, just like uh, I remember it? Yep, played the music, had the announcements, which no longer they don't do. They only do them now uh, on our um, right before community period on Wednesdays. Oh. Uh, so they don't give you those few extra minutes to get to class before it starts. Oh, that's a bummer. All yeah. I can remember during my time was Ben Popo coming <laughs> on and going, Gonzaga Prep, how are you doing this morning? And so that was uh, it was good times. That's unfortunate, but it's nice that they still get a chance to do it. Uh, talk about Ancilla real fast because it, it, that'll be a good memory trip for me uh, that I can't really remember. What do they do again? Ancilla is an all-girls service organization. So we, um, at the time, helped out with a lot of either things on campus or in the kind of greater Spokane community. So we um, visited nursing homes. We uh, hosted dances for students with disabilities. Um, we helped out at Gonzaga Prep funerals or um, the ushers during all-school masses, too. So kind of a variety of things. Um Santa breakfast, or we helped uh, for like Easter egg hunt, things that maybe were on campus, but also some things that were kind of in the greater community. And there's a male version, Knights of the Leash. That's so right. Knights uh, is the equivalent of Ancilla. 
Okay. Now, as being in so heavily involved like you were when you were at prep, who do you still keep in contact that you went to school with? Yeah. So uh, a lot of I have a lot of great friends. Um, Katie Antich, who was on ASB with me, we met freshman year art and art, and she was a public school valley girl, and so we sat next to each other. And she actually just had her uh, first baby today, so I got a text message this morning. Oh, boy, uh, girl. A little boy. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so she's one of my closest friends. And then um, obviously people who I played sports with are pretty close with as well too. So uh, a good handful of people. Very cool. Now, uh, as far as one of the things that you guys have really marketed really well and what I've seen in your guys' ads and uh, videos that you show of prep is you have this story now of people that found their place at prep. Uh, how did you find your place at prep or when did you realize you found your place at prep? Yeah, I, uh, I love that storyline because I think that one of the things that I love is that you don't, it's not one specific space. It, you know, it can be multidimensional as far as uh, where you spend the most of your time. And so for me, athletics was really important. I, you know, I, I love sports. I love supporting all of the athletics. And then um, I really loved leadership. And, uh, you know, I was, I loved the faculty. So I spent a lot of my time hanging out with the faculty, you know, having lunches in their rooms and um, making sure that, you know, I just, that it was a safe place to be, um, you know, if I wasn't eating my pup muffin or uh, Costco muffin at the cafeteria. I was, I was visiting with the, the, my teachers. So those, those are probably the big three areas, uh, athletics, um, leadership, and then just the faculty. Yeah. If you could credit one person who helped you find your place at prep, is there a person that you could probably say off the top of your head? Uh, well, Mr. Fern was, Joe Fern was probably the one that was the most influential in, um, probably challenging me to really reach my fullest potential. You know, I think he was someone who uh, celebrated successes with me, and I know that he did that for hundreds, if not thousands of kids as well, but then also had a level of, ex he expected things from you too, and to be a good person, to, you know, I had him for as a in a class, so to turn my homework in, um, and then obviously as a coach too. So he was someone who was really special to me uh, at Gonzaga Prep. But, um, you know, I know we'll talk about this, but it's interesting to come back and work at the, the school that you had all of these teachers because I, I have so many great memories of a lot of them um, being a student first and foremost and then coming back and working with them too. Absolutely. Now, if there was one word you could use to describe Joe Fern, what would that one word be? That is a good question. Uh, I think, you know, I think he was really committed. That would be a word that I would use is he was committed to the, the cross country and track team. He was committed to teaching. He was committed to the students that he counseled. And he was someone who really, you could ask him anything and he would say yes. And he would go above and beyond to help a student, to work with a family, to, um, to get that student athlete to, you know, whatever specific times or races that they were trying to do. So, um, commitment and being a committed person. Yeah. I think commitment. And then one that I would probably throw that, you know, and, and following in tune with your guys's promotional campaign is, uh, you have a, a girl that says multifaceted that that's what prep is. 
I think uh, Mr. Fern is a guy that's pretty multifaceted that I think no matter who's to describe Fern would say something along the lines of teacher, coach, brother, friend, colleague, mentor, counselor, father, and of course a Pepsi drinker. (laughs) Uh, And so I just think that he's multifaceted in that, that it didn't matter on any given day he could wear way more than just one hat. And so I think that that is just something to build off of what you said, that that is who he was through and through. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's been, um, you know, a really sad summer uh, with his loss, but at the same time, so many great stories and memories have come out of, you know, hearing people talk about their experiences with Joe. And he, you know, he was at Gonzaga Prep for so long and um, and worked with students at different and coached with different um, students and did different sports too. So I think it's been fascinating to hear other people's experiences. And then he has that Camp Reed side of him that is goofy and fun. And I never was a camp reader, so I never got to see that side of him. But I know that um, he's dearly missed there too. Yeah, no, people had expressed to me as far as his service that was out here at the school. And unfortunately, I didn't have the ability to make it, but they said not only the prep community came out and showed for the the service but just the amount of people that were involved in camp read too came out they said that that was incredible just to see a combined you know grouping of people that came together for that if you had to probably estimate how many people did show for that service uh we're estimating about 1300 people came to his service in the gym um you know, it was, it was a beautiful service by uh, Father J.K. Adams and Father Peter Byrne. Uh, Mitch Davey, was, uh, one of his former students, uh, was the musician, or, and Andrew Davey was there as well. Um, but, you know, it, Young Life was another group that was represented there. Uh, and then also, you know, I think every GSL school had a representative through a cross-country or track program. So, um, you know, whether it be an assistant coach or a head coach or someone who was involved in that program at some time. And that, I think, speaks to his level of just being a good person for others and a good friend, uh, even in that community. If I had it right, he went to Mead. He graduated from Mead, yeah. And he ran at Mead. He ran at Mead for Pat Tyson, who yeah. was, that was kind of the years when they were, they were really successful and winning back-to-back state championships for cross country. And then from Mead, didn't he run in college? He ran for a year uh, at a, uh, a smaller school in California. Um, I think it was a JC school, actually. And then he transferred to GU and he stopped running per, or competitively, I guess, or for the college. Um, and that's when he kind of started getting, got into coaching. So while he was a student at GU, he started kind of volunteering up here at Gonzaga Prep. Now, I remember one thing about Pat Tyson, because Pat Tyson had, didn't he have a connection to like Nike and Oregon and yeah, so uh, Pat Tyson was Prefontaine's roommate yes. at University of Oregon. So he ran for the Ducks, and then uh, he was a teacher and taught at Mead. And so he that's kind of he's continued to still be in touch with all those Nike guys down there. One Pat Tyson memory that I had, the only year that I spent outside the Catholic school system, I went to Northwood for a year, and it was in seventh grade. And I remember we had this run because I ran cross country in middle school, where we went and we ran with the guys that ran at Mead. So it was kind of cool because we got to see, you know, juniors and seniors that were running really fast at the time and kind of role models go, oh, man, I want to be like that guy someday. 
and we finished our run and we were doing like a, a cool down and a stretch routine and and Pat Tyson got up and said, I'm going to ask some questions revolving around Prefontaine and the people to get it right. I will hook you up with Nike shoes. And I only remember is, I mean, obviously that was like my whole world, but I remember I spent the rest of the year after I'd answered one of those questions correctly with my, you know, PE coach and, and cross country coach going, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a size seven. Like when are those shoes coming? When are those shoes coming? Oh, I'll, I'll keep asking. So I don't know if it's became this thing of like, yeah, I'm not going to keep asking kind of thing. But I just remember that, that was my whole world. And I was just like, come on, Mr. Tyson, you can't come through with the shoes. I wanted those real bad. I might need it. I'll send him a text message. <laughs> so I, he was a really influential person in Joe's life. Um, but I was really fortunate. I ran for Pat at Gonzaga University. So I um, ran cross country and track there for a couple of years. And he had just um, left. He was at the University of Oregon for a little while and then uh, took the full-time job at GU. And so um, so I'll let him know that you need some shoes. Yeah, exactly. Size 10 nowadays. Yeah. Do you remember the question? Uh, no, I wish I did. But I know that it, I was a big Prefontaine nut at the time in which I had watched that Prefontaine movie, that mock documentary. Uh -huh. I, I don't even know how many times, but I would basically lift and watch that and then go for a run. It just gave me the motivation. So that was, was good memories. So, uh, so being a pre Fontaine class, uh, fan, did you talk to Joe about that ever? I did. So my first memory with, with Fern was I had him for world history. And I remember how I landed into his world history class. Uh, I had been ready and in AP world history. Mm-hmm. And I sat and I had done the summer work and read the book for Haugen's class. And I sat the first day in class and he was asking questions about the book and then just world history in general. And I remember how many were like over my head. And I was like, I got to get out of this class. Like this just is not for me. So I remember I went to my counselor at the time, which was Mrs. Hunt McEwen uh, before uh, Mr. Fern had taken over. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to be an AP can you switch me out? And she's like, well, it looks like, you know, Mr. Fern has a, you know, an opening, uh, in his class. And I was like, great. Sounds great. That sounds good. And I remember getting into his class and him going around. And as each of us introduced ourselves in the class, we also shared our favorite movie. And of course I was last cause I was a late addition to the class. So when I walked in, I didn't really know where to sit. And so I just sat in the back corner and he had gotten to me last for my name and movie and I was like, Nathan Alford and Prefontaine. And I kind of made eye contact up toward the top of the wall, which had the Prefontaine poster. And he turned around and goes, are you just saying that because I, I, I'm a big Prefontaine guy and I have that poster up on the wall? And I was like, no, 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 seriously. Like, I, I love that movie. And I think from that point forward, um, after some slow uh, um, convincing, no, I really do love Prefontaine. I loved his fourth place finish back in the Olympics. It was that beginning of a great relationship that I had with uh, Mr. Fern. And so that's probably the memory that I always hold on to, that it was just, it was kind of cool because not, not too often do you remember a first encounter with someone that it's, Oh, and then it was great after that point. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome story. And he does love his Prefontaine. So. He did. He mm -hmm. did. Uh, now, I can't really recall one, but I figured I'd ask this of you just to see. 
do you remember like a fernism, like a common phrase or something that he would say that you can recall in just a lot of your conversations? Yeah, um, you know, there are two things I can mention. One, um, someone posted on his uh, carrying bridge. I think it actually was the McCandless family because he coached the McCandless boys all through Gonzaga Prep uh, was no excuses. And it was something that he kind of just, he wanted you to show up with no excuses. So that was one that I forgot about until someone else wrote it. But uh, the one that really stuck with me, and this was more from a track perspective because he was um, just my track coach, was that he always encouraged us to push the second to last rep or lap because he'd always say the last one takes care of itself. So just push this one and the last one's going to take care of itself. So that was one thing that um, I've always, you know, even coaching now, we'll, we'll use with the kids is we call it the the fern rep. So push the second to last one because the last one, it will take care of it. Uh, and then the last thing that was more just from since he was diagnosed and over the last few years was just stay in the mile. You know, during his whole course, he was just trying to stay with what he was given at that moment and not look too far ahead. Um, And when you're marathon training, as I was doing at the time when he was diagnosed, staying in the mile is really important because it can get daunting to look when you're on your long runs or whatnot um, to be nervous about what's ahead. But if you just kind of put your head down for a little bit and just focus on what's at at hand, then it, it gets a little bit easier. And so I use that one a little bit too. Yeah, no, I can remember a few encounters, obviously, as I got into high school, I gravitated more toward football and basketball, and my relationship as far as sports with Mr. Fern was here in passing when I would see him, or he would kind of pop into the weight room, and I just remember him having, you know, a unique ability to, like, come into the the weight room and have this presence of, you know, Hey, how's it going? You know, you want to, you want to sit down or you want to just stand and talk for a moment. And I remember this, all this is one encounter. Cause I always like to ask him, you know, how are your guys doing? How are your guys competing type of thing? And I remember Tate Kelly, I think he was two years or three years older than I, but I remember. Class 09. So yeah. that'd be two. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, asking him like, you know, how's Tate doing kind of thing. And he's like, I remember him looking over and he goes, He's, he's starting to look more like a runner. Uh, he's, he's worrying less about, about the curls and, you know, the weights and <laughs> focusing more on just, you know, the look of who a runner is. And uh, I always thought that to be kind of cool because he would be honest with you, like you said. Yeah. He would just give it to you, you know, cut and dry. I like it because of the fact that this guy's focusing on this and that's what's making him better. And it's like you actually got something to take away as okay, no, I do have a better understanding of where his guys are at rather than just having that blanketed, yeah, things are good, you know, guys are progressing, you know, whittling down their times. It was more, here's something specific that you could probably relate to, too, as somewhat of a runner. So speaking of Tate, uh, you know, Tate's one of those, a great example of a a runner who started running a little bit later in his career, but then I think Fern influenced him to continue that into college. And there's just so many of those uh, athletes that I think Fern kind of lit that passion for them. And uh, Tate ended up running at Gonzaga for Pat Tyson too. So I think um, they had a, a really special connection. Yeah, and that moves me to this for you and your relationship again with Fern. Describe how it transitioned from teacher to coach to friend, then ultimately to a colleague. 
Yeah, I um, I still remember, I think, and maybe it wasn't the first time I met Joe, but uh, being a little eighth grader and running at the parochial school uh, track meet. And he, uh, I was, I think at the time I was running for Salk because I really loved track. And so my parents would let me go run um, at the Salk meets. And I might be the only, I might've been the only one that showed up for the parochial school meet with spikes. And, <laughs> uh, and Joe thought that was pretty cool that I, you know, I was really competitive and really uh, interested in the sport that I would show up. And the 400 was my favorite race, which no one really likes the 400 at uh, at that time that's a tough race too uh, it, it is even now i think when i hear someone say that they love the 400 i think you're going to be a good track track <laughs> athlete um and so i remember him just being really uh just kind and excited and kind of really passionate about what he what he did and so you know i we i was one of the first groups of when he became the head girls track coach and so he really i think uh, our the group that we were with really had a great relationship with um, to be really even though he was our coach he was he was our friend and someone who we could go talk to about other things beyond just track or classes um, but then he also knew when it was time to compete and it was time to work that he had those expectations and he challenged you and he put times in front of you that he he knew you could do but you'd have to really work to get to. Um, and I really appreciated that because I think um, it was something that I always kind of kept aspiring to get a little bit faster or even work a little bit harder. Um, and then when I decided to um, run in college, like I mentioned, I only ran for a couple of years. I, I ran my junior and senior year. Where was that again? Real fast? At Gonzaga. Oh, okay. At Gonzaga okay. University. Uh, and he was, a, he was a good resource for me then too to kind of talk about what that might look like and talk about, you know, he was really excited because, you know, he loves seeing people continuing in the, in the sport of running. And regardless of what competition level you're at. He just wanted people to be competitive and to, to love running as much as he did. Um, but that, that's probably when he started to be kind of more of a, a friend than the, the teacher or the, the coach and where I relied on him a lot for, um, you know, advice when I was trying to decide on what major to get, um, what jobs I should look at after college. Uh, and so I, Transitioned to Gonzaga Prep a year after graduating. So I worked in the admissions office at Gonzaga University after graduating from there. And then the admissions job at Gonzaga Prep opened up. It was a, previously it was a part-time job that was shared between three teachers or a counselor as well. So it was a kind of a counselor and a teacher that they kind of all had a stipend position to work on it. And they decided as a school that they wanted a full-time admissions job or admissions director. And so at the time I was coaching girls basketball and Mike Arty came during summer ball and said, hey, I think you should look at this position. And uh, then I reached out to Joe and Joe told me a little bit more about what it looked like. And, um, and, and long story short, I ended up taking the job and never really looking back because uh, I love Gonzaga Prep so much. But Joe, for the last eight years, has just been such a huge mentor to me in so many ways professionally. And you know, he's someone who you can go sit in his office and just ask him really just questions about work, but also life. And he gives you, like you mentioned, honest feedback and honest insights. And uh, I think shows that he really cares about you. And I think what's really, what I've learned over my last, the last eight years is how 
you know, how he treated students and his athletes is how he taught or worked with the faculty and staff too. So there wasn't a day that went by that there wasn't another faculty member or staff member that was going in his office and shutting the door and kind of soliciting that same advice or help um, that you would ask for if you were a student. And I think that just kind of speaks to who he was as a person um, to me, but also kind of to the greater Spokane or uh, Gonzaga Prep community as well. I think that one of the things that people truly underestimate when they think of someone that's a teacher, a counselor, whatever the case may be within a school system is for the fact that it's an easy job. And it's like you get summers off, um, you know, your day's done at three o'clock. It's really not that bad. But where I would relate and from the standpoint of teaching for two years is there are periods of time where it is a challenge to constantly be in the thick of things, constantly be, if I could classify it as on in front of people to where not necessarily that you're so uncharacteristic of who you normally are, but just there's a captive audience. So you feel like, okay, I got to perform a little bit. What was interesting about Fern was the fact that he at all points of the day had people around people in his office it was never a, a moment where I, I'd look over and just see like, oh, there's Fern in there by himself, you know, just spending some quiet time. It was people at lunch in there eating lunch with them. It was, you know, all throughout the school day, obviously, people in and out of his office, like you said, not only students, but, you know, people that work at prep as well. And so to say that that's an easy thing for someone to do is really an understatement because of the fact that, again, you're on all the time and you never really have that time until you go home that you're away from it. But that just talks to the testament of how much he loved what he did. And that's what's, I think, above all things, what should be heard is his time here, though he did not go to prep, he might as well have gone to prep because the way he embraced the community when he was in the thick of things. Well, and he, you know, he loved the interactions. That's the thing that like you ask him and he would like, those are things that he loved. He didn't like doing the paperwork. He didn't like doing the emails or being on the phone. He loved the relationship piece of his job um, to the point where he actually would show up at 630 in the morning. So he could get a lot of that work done. So he could dedicate his days to uh, really what mattered to him most. And that was kind of building community and building relationship with whether it be with his teams or classroom um, or his colleagues. Uh, he had all the cross country kids in there every day at lunch um, and at break. And, you know, it's easy to just shut the door and say, no, I need this time for myself. But he always had his door open for everybody. Yeah, no, I, I think that w one of the bigger things to bum me out, I think when I when I finally made my way and was starting to visit more back in Spokane after I had moved, I had come back to the school twice. And this had been more in kind of the past three or four years when he started to try, you know, have a lot that he was dealing with and battling. And I obviously had the privilege of sitting down and, and catching up with Coach McKenna, who I was close with when I was at prep, you know, with, of anyone else. But it was frustrating when ultimately hearing of his pass, passing because of the fact that I had the opportunity to sit down with McKenna and basically tell him, Coach, you know, you saw something in me when I didn't see something in me, and you know, here, here's where I am now, and I just wanted the opportunity to come back and say 
thank you for the role that you played. And those two times that I was here, I really wanted that opportunity to say that to, to Mr. Fern too. And it just never worked out. And I think that that's one of the things that I take away from, I really should have done that earlier because that's all I ever wanted to, to tell him. It wasn't for the fact of, hey, you know, look where I am now and all of that. It was more so to be able to, to tell him, you were such a big part of this. And if there was one memory, I'd say lasting memory, um, that I have about Mr. Fern was when I was applying to schools, my, you know, the end of my junior year, I remember walking into the office to get my letter of recommendation from him. And he handed it over to me and he said these words, and I'll never forget them, easiest recommendation I've ever written. And it was, you know, for, for in that moment, I do remember thinking to myself, no higher compliment could I get. And I can't wait to share that with my family that, hey, here's what my guidance counselor said that, you know, he thought that much of me. But also that I, I look at that as, I mean, that's so who Joe was, but also like seeing that in you and saying, yeah, but you better live up to this too. Like that's something that I think Joe, like now you kind of feel like, well, this is what he sees in me. I, I got to see that in myself as well. And I think that kind of inspiration is something that he planted, you know, he planted seeds mm-hmm. in so many people. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I, I do look at from the standpoint of, those interactions that I think a lot of people can relate to as similar encounters that they had with other faculty members here at prep, I think ultimately influenced, and I don't want to speak too much for you, but like you had said, coming back to work for prep just because of the fact that your time here was phenomenal. So what's your current role at prep here? So I, um, the last eight years I was the director of admissions and then I just transitioned to um, be the vice president for advancement. So we transitioned development to advancement and under advancement is uh, the development and alumni work, marketing and admissions. So I've kind of the idea that all three of those uh, entities kind of work together to advance the mission of the school. So kind of more of the outward facing work of the school. Um, The school side, the internal operations is one piece of it and then more of kind of focusing on the external. It sounds like that sounds like quite the process for sure. <laughs> well, uh, I work with really amazing people that know a lot of what they're doing, and um, you know, Gonzaga Prep's a pretty—it's a strong community, a strong school, and you know, it's one of those places that when you're here, you really understand the impact that it has in the greater Spokane area too. Now, support system at home. What? Uh, who? Uh, who's your husband? How many kids? What have we got? Yeah. So I have a husband named Mike who. Uh, is from Southern Idaho, but really wishes he could have graduated from Gonzaga Prep. He, uh, I don't know someone who is a bigger fan than Mike. Uh, he coaches JV basketball, girls basketball. Um, we used to coach freshman girls together. Oh, that was uh, cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> and then um, he also is on the chain gang, so he helps at all the home football games as well. And then we have twin boys that are 18 months, Jack and Liam, and uh, so future bullpups here. I think class of 2036. Whoa. So a little way, a little ways out there, but they're already repping their blue and white gear. Yeah. Maybe uh, assumption too. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Now you mentioned something briefly that had been a good lead for me, uh, for maybe a future interview, but you mentioned the chain gang. Can you speak at all to the illustrious history and backstory to said chain gang? Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know much of the history 
pre-Gonzaga uh, Prep Bullpup Stadium. But when the stadium was built, fall of 2005 was the first seasons that we were able to have uh, home football games on our on our own turf. And um, I believe Mike Artie was the one who started, was kind of managing the chain gang. And along with Dave Herman, who is a graduate at Gonzaga Prep and uh, also JV basketball coach. And then uh, they had another person that I'm not quite sure who was the initial start, but eventually my husband kind of got his way in and as well with Pat Everett and Mike Artie. And so they, they, they circled those home games on their calendar, you know, six months out and they don't miss a home game because they have to be there for, uh, for the chain gang. And, uh, they love it because they get to hear, you know, they get to be on the field and they take pride in the fact that the referees tell them that they're the best chain gang in the city. Yes. No, love that. I think that they would have a story or two because they're, they're on the opposing side, right? They are on the opposing side. So they get to hear what the other coaches are saying, what the other players are saying, uh, what the other fans are saying too. Uh, so they have a lot of insights from the different, different teams. Yeah, that those those guys would have quite the quite the story to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike Artie is the one that manages it, but you he and so he would probably have some stories over the, you know the the fourteen years that we've had home games. Fun stuff, mm-hmm. really is. So that will be one that I follow up on for sure. Now, uh, like you've heard in some of the other episodes that we've done. Uh, we've had people also give some recommendations of you should reach out to this person if you could as far as a personal endorsement. Is there anyone in which I could reach out to to say, hey, Karina Kelsey thinks you'd be an excellent interview? Oh, well, I there's a lot of alums. I think getting... Uh, you know, the older generation of the 80s when they won state championship. So, um, you know, you also have some, the other thing that would be really fascinating was to talk to some of our current parents who played football in the 80s or 90s, but then now have an athlete going through the football program. If you're, we're thinking football specific, uh, I think that would be a really cool thing to have a father-son um, interview or multiple as well. Um, and then, you know, I'm uh, as a female athlete, I would always love to see some of the the females be represented as well. So, um, uh, current athletes or former ones, um, none that are coming to the top of my head. But I think thinking about football specifically, the class of the '80s years, and then the father son duo. Absolutely, and I've had some recent people reach out to me that I'm excited about of just leads coming into me rather than me having to proactively reach out to people. Uh, One of recent was Ken West. Uh, His daughter, Sophie West, is now playing uh, volleyball at uh, Boston Boston College. College. Yeah. And he reached out and he was like, if you're looking for an interview, and I said, I I think that would be great. And I actually touched base with her. And so hopefully when she comes back after her senior season is done in, in December, maybe having the opportunity to sit down with her. And then there's been one other name, and this would be a great duo, obviously, interview. Um, Sarah Long. Oh, yeah. Formerly known as Sarah Cronin and Travis Long. Sarah Mannix. Or Sarah, she, not, she, she is sorry. a Cronin, but yeah, yes. No, not Cronin. I, I always get those, those two yeah. families confused. But yes, Sarah Mannix. Yep. And uh, yeah, to sit down with the two of them because of the fact that people that had great careers at, at prep and then obviously now ending up together and being married, it's 
You and know. Sarah works at Gonzaga Prep. That's she, what I thought, but yeah, I wanted to make a, sure. She's a school counselor. So she um, she's taking over. Uh, Dennis Kukuk retired after this year. So she she is she was this is her going to be her second year, um, but she uh, will kind of be taking some of his his work. So Sarah, if you're out there and you're listening, you're, I'm telling you that people have said to me, <laughs> uh, get her on. She'd be an excellent interview. Um, and then also too, if uh, if Travis could make a uh, little little cameo in that as well. And uh, I know that they just had a kid, right? Yeah. Yep. I, Winnie, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Six months old, I believe. Very cool. So I know yeah. her hands are full, so, you know, I can't, I can't be too tough on her for, you know, not necessarily maybe listening yet or, uh, reaching out. <laughs> she wants to get the school year started. Yeah. I be able to get her in here. And for Travis sure. coaches JV basketball too. So he's, he ar- really? he's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might help with football, but I'm not, I'm not positive about that. Okay. That that's exciting. So, uh, to wrap things up today, I do want to say thank you so much for joining me and, you know, explaining your journey through prep and then just journey with, with Joe Fern. And, you know, I want to say that my condolences continue to go out to his family. And, uh, yeah, I just really appreciate you coming on. If anyone wants to continue to support the cross-country team, uh, our schedule is online. Just a little plug. Joe would love that. Uh, or you can rep your G with wing shirts. He loves seeing those, would always love seeing those around Spokane as well. Um, but he's, you know, a, a great man, a great loss. It was a great loss for our community because he was just, um, just a believer in what we did here. Yeah. So uh, that was Karina O'Brien Kelsey. Uh, And I I am Nathan Alford. Thank you so much for joining PSP. I look forward to more content as the fall sports seasons uh, ensue here soon. And, uh, yeah, as always, go Pups. Errors on today's show included the song To You, Mrs. Robinson, as me thinking it wasn't performed by Simon and Garfunkel, but it actually is. Uh, But I believe at the time when I had that interaction with Mrs. Robinson, it was more so that I thought it was the Beatles, and she sat me down real quick and educated me. And so, hey, that's one thing to say that I'm coachable, I'm teachable. She told me, hey, it's uh, Simon and Garfungal. Never forget that. And uh, Mrs. Robinson, I'm letting you know, I never have. Go Pops. (laughs) 